feel pretty confident, like I'm not tripping over these cables. The moment I'm like, I'm just going to step out in faith, I'm going to take all that stuff with me. Not ideal. Good morning, church. Let's see, uh, end of Ephesians. I mean, not forever, but for this series at least. If you're curious, uh, man, it seems like a short passage. It is a short passage. And actually, you know, I think Mike had mentioned maybe last week, like, you're breaking this up. (laughs) And I was like, I am. And hopefully it's going to make sense when we get there. But the armor of God, uh, a passage that we preached last week, that I preached last week, that we we went through together, is renowned. It's a very well-known passage. And in most of the studies that I've done and heard this preach, this part here that we'll talk about today just kind of gets bolted on at the end of that. It is a very short wrap-up, and it's sort of like the words sincerely at the end of the letter. And how often do we need to study that? The difference is it's not just the word sincerely. There's a lot of stuff that's going on here, believe it or not. At least that's my case, and uh, I'm going to contend for it as we talk today. So, if you've got your Bibles, turn with. If not, it should be on the screen. We'll be at the very tail end of Ephesians, Ephesians 6:21. So, that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, uh, a short passage by the numbers, uh, but as usual, uh, no matter how small of an amount of of the word, your word that we try to study, uh, the depth is infinite, Lord. And I pray that we'll be able to to look at this passage today and uh, be thoughtful, uh, but also be faithful to know that you are sovereign, you are overseeing this service today, you're overseeing all aspects of our lives, Lord. And as we crack open the word and we study it and we desire to know more about you so that we may give you the grace that, or the the glory rather, that you are due as you have shed grace upon us, Lord, help us to take this time today to, 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 to learn more about you, the truth about you. Same sounds in my prayer. Amen. So peace out. Have you ever heard that term? It's basically, I'm leaving. So this is the end. Paul's wrapping up his letter, and Paul's not there. So sending a letter generally means I'm not going to be there. If I was going to go visit somebody, this would be awkward. If I was like, I'm going to swing by later and we'll visit, and instead I just handed you a letter <laughs> that explained everything that's going on, you'd probably think, why aren't we just talking about this? Of course, you're here. Let's talk about it. But in this case, that's exactly what Paul's doing. So if you're curious why, uh, why I save this for its own sermon, me too, in some regards. It is a very short passage, and maybe... Maybe it's not worth looking at, I don't know, but I think that the beginning, and I've talked about this every time we preach, it seems like the very first part of the book where he's doing some greetings and his opening, his dear part of the letter, and the end, are very often overlooked. Generally, there's not a lot of substance there on its face. They are used, but the manner in which they greet and the manner in which Paul says goodbye is important. In my study, it's always coupled with last week's passage. I put always and I made it big. Someone's going to say, that's not true. I once heard a sermon. Great. I'd love to talk more about it. I'm not saying it couldn't be. But generally, because of the brevity of this and this mention of it, it turns into this. Here's a great metaphor for life using armor and Tychicus too. It just kind of gets tossed in the end. People, who's Tychicus? Oh, who cares about that? But the armor of God is cool. Look, it's breastplates and swords and shields. And, but what about Tychicus? So today we're going to talk about Tychicus. So here's where it all starts. Paul sends a messenger. Messengers are not uncommon at this time. These days, we don't deal with things like seals and wax and authenticity as much. We have technology that does a better job of that. 
But back in these days, is the letter legit? Is the letter clear enough? Paul, among others, would have known if you send somebody a letter, has anybody ever received a text or read an email or something along those lines and read it in a, in a tone that was probably not intended? Like, this is my, every single text goes this way for me. I'll send something I think is very thoughtful. I get a reply like, okay. I'm like, I'm reading it as, okay. And they're just like, okay. But I'm reading it like, uh-oh, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. So that I don't think has changed. I think that's human nature. As, as you read these letters from Paul, if you are in the thinking that Paul's trying to be very corrective or unloving, you might feel that way. If you think that maybe this didn't come from Paul, this isn't something Paul would say. I think I know Paul pretty well, and he would never say something like that. That's the reason to send a messenger. Here's somebody that's going to deliver a message from Paul, and the letter from Paul is important. These are Paul's you know, words to you directly. And this is an important thing. This would have been something that was very serious when he put it down, just like today. When you put pen to paper, you're usually a little bit more thoughtful about that. And you write things down that are important. You try to organize your thoughts. You be as clear as possible. Paul has done that. Tychicus here, though, is more than a messenger. He's also a believer. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing is the main reason that Tychicus is here. Paul doesn't talk very much about himself in this letter. There's a brief mention at the end we talked about in small group where he's asking for prayer. And also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. This is a verse, uh, Ephesians 6, 19. Opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Right, brief mention, ambassador in chains. So Paul's not living the high life, sitting in his you know, throne in the biggest temple, sending letters out to these churches to get their act together. Paul's in the mission field. And he's in prison, but work still needs to be done. And so out go the letters. Here what we see is Paul saying, if you have questions about me, about the things that are going on in my life that maybe aren't as pertinent to our mission or ministry directly, Tychicus can fill you in. He knows. He's been part of this. He's been hanging out with me. He knows the story. He's got all the good, the tea. He can help you spill it. Whatever you need, that's what Tychicus is for. But I'm not putting in a letter because it's not that important. The letter is centered around reaching people with the truth of the gospel. This is funny, though, because no pressure for Tychicus. Paul's letter can't possibly cover everything, but Tychicus might. <laughs> and if you think that I'm, I'm being hyperbolic, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, will tell you everything. No pressure, Tychicus. <laughs> tell me everything Paul said. How far is the sun from the moon right now? I don't know. Uh-oh. Looks like Ty Paul's a liar because Tychicus, I mean, but anyway, the, the point here is if you've got questions, Tychicus will help you. I can't be there. The reason is clear. Paul sent Tychicus here for this express purpose. This is why he is here. He delivers a letter and he can expand upon it. They probably have some questions. If you ever wonder why we sit here on Sunday mornings and we do what we do, it's because Paul's letter is God's word and it is perfectly clear in and of itself. We do this to help make it clearer faster, right? If anyone's ever learned to ride a bike with no assistance, it's possible to do it. The bike can be ridden in and of itself. You can get on it and go next to a tree. I've done this sort of thing before, right? I, it's uh, too big. And get your balance and then try to work on that and then try rolling forward. But it's far easier if somebody can hold the seat, hold the handlebars, walk with you for a while, and then give you some speed so that you can manage that on your own. That sort of thing is what we are doing. God has built a bike that is perfectly rideable. 
Our desire here is to make it. That's why Paul sent this. The things in Paul's letter were as clear, crystal clear and effectual then as they are now. But Paul even sent Tychicus to help expand upon it. Let me connect the dots for you a little bit. What does he mean by armor? Why would he use armor? We don't even have any armor. Well, it's not about armor. Literally, it's more of a figurative thing. These are aspects of our salvation that God has brought into our lives that protect us from the snares of the devil. Oh, okay, that's very clear. The same things we're doing here. He can also answer questions about Paul. And this is a very interesting thing. He didn't just send a theologian. He didn't send another book that helps explain all the details used in his letter. Here's a dictionary and some thesauruses. This will help you know the words that I'm using. He sent a human being that can talk. This is all fine and good. That's neat. But how's Paul doing, man? I mean, it's been a minute. And he wasn't looking too good last time I saw him. He's doing all right, you know. Tell me about it. What can we, what, you know, tell me about any neat stories about, you know, working. Well, you know, he's, he's got a couple guards that are starting to listen to him a little bit. But you know how they switch them out. And, oh, yeah, you know. The same kind of stories that we tell today, the reason we like to gather as a church and talk to each other and pray for each other and get engaged with each other is, is happening here. At the tail end of this letter, after this long letter, what Paul's putting in his letter is, and you can imagine, he could have been surveying, who's, who's free to go? Who's, who doesn't mind going? Tychicus is like, I'll go. Great. The end of my letter. Hey, real quick, Tychicus, beloved brother, faithful minister, right? This dude's, he knows what he needs to know. He's been part of this. He can help you out. I'm sending him with. He'll tell you everything you need to know. He can answer those questions about Paul's, but number one, he can encourage their hearts. If you get a letter from somebody... And you, or, or a communication from somebody, and it necessarily, generally will make you want to ask another question. They'll say something, and they're like, it's been a rough week. Generally, if it's somebody you really care about, you're not going to say, okay, fine, good, good to know. You're going to say, in what way? How was it rough? Is there anything I can do to help? Right? If you or somebody has lost a family member, we would never say, well, death's inevitable in many regards, so let me know, you know, uh, I'll, uh, thanks for letting me know that you've lost somebody, and I'll, you know, whatever. We would say, what do you need? I'll be praying for you, your well-being, your continuous, uh, you know, traversal through grief, because we know that there's probably some suffering there that they're not communicating because it's tough to communicate it. These are the kinds of things that Tychicus would talk about, the stuff that's hard for Paul to talk about. We we, we don't deify Paul. I want to make it very clear. We don't see Paul as a, as a, a in any part, uh, anything other than a very, very exceptional man who did a, an immense amount of work for the Lord. But it would be very tempting to do that. Then, just like now, this guy's got something special, man. He might be like Jesus, you know, again. Because Jesus died before he was, you can imagine this happening. And Paul's like, "That ain't me, man. I'm dying. I'm hurting. I'm getting old. I'm sore. I'm in prison. I'm not the Lord. Copy me as I copy Christ." Paul knows what's going on here, but he wants them to be encouraged. I'm suffering. Y'all are suffering. It's okay. Don't get down because I'm in prison. Don't give up because it looks like things are taking a turn for the worse in Paul's life. Tychicus will tell you all that you need to know. He'll tell you everything. Really what he's going to try to get done here is to have them be encouraged that if Paul can keep going in the midst of this, no matter what's going on, you can do it too. And then as he, as he wraps up his letter further, he says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
one sentence, we see peace, love, and faith working together here. All three from God the Father through Christ the Lord. I mean, this is a, like a goodbye sentence. And in many regards, it's something you could probably study and ponder and meditate on for the rest of your life and never quite grasp. Peace, he's, he's praying peace on them and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things working together to enable peaceful living, love between one another, faith that what God said is going to happen is going to happen, that what has happened did happen. Faith that he is going to come back, that we will be with God again. All of these things, Paul's praying on their behalf. And you can imagine, they would say, love with faith, what does this mean? And they're looking right at Tychicus. <laughs> what does he mean by that? And Tychicus is probably mopping his brow like, well, here's probably. <laughs> we didn't get to that because it was kind of in the letter, but it's probably what he's getting at, you know, and he's trying his best to, just like we're doing today. And his very last line is, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's quite a qualifier. We talk about unconditional love. You hardly ever hear the term incorruptible love. I love you with an incorruptible love. I guess it doesn't quite sound as romantic, um, but it does sound good. Who would not want a love that is beyond corruption, a love that could not be under any circumstance corrupted? It's a very small thing in the, in the midst of this giant letter to the Ephesians. But this notion of him asking for grace to be with all of those who love the Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. You could read this as, I want grace upon those who love the Lord Jesus with an incorruptible love. So grace to those who are saved. Okay, agreed. You could also read this as, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And that grace is shown through incorruptible love. Now we've got something a little bit more interesting, perhaps. What Paul is getting at here is the demonstration, the grace that comes in your ability to love Christ forever means that love can never be tarnished. You may feel distant. You may feel that the walls are coming down. You might feel a little bit isolated. You might be in a season of suffering, a season of growth. It might be painful, maybe discipline. Who knows what's going on there? But the grace of God is an incorruptible love for Christ, a, a love that no matter what's going on, you always know this is a bedrock, untouchable kind of love. Who wouldn't want a love like that? Whoever goes into any relationship with someone they love and thinks, I mean, I, I, this is cynical. I know we have things like prenuptial agreements because people kind of know that love is very corruptible in the world, but nobody wants that. Nobody signs up for a marriage and thinking, look, if we can go nine months, that's pretty good. I mean, the love is already kind of a mess, but if we can just get it to hold up until I find the next love that's maybe a bit better, let's just ride this one out. Nobody does that. It's always forever. It's always till death do us part. And then the love gets corrupted because it wasn't a, it wasn't a love that was based on something deeper than our current emotional state in many regards. And, and quite frankly, this is something Paul's concerned about even here. You love the idea of Jesus, but you don't love Jesus. You love what Jesus can do for you, but that love is easily corruptible because somebody else might be able to do more for you. If what you want is riches in the kingdom here today, there are people that are far richer than Paul that can make that happen. What Paul's praying for them is, is God to, to, to show grace to them but with a love that transcends that, a love that can't be affected by the whims of the world or the suffering. And he's leaving them with more than words. The letter's impact has increased thanks to Tychicus. 
I say, you know, that, 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 that this is something that's oftentimes <laughs> overlooked at the end of this thing. It's just, and here's Tychicus along. But Paul sent with this letter a person, and that person is a believer. He calls him a minister. He fills in the gaps, and he counsels around the rough spots. If you have studied Ephesians with us, and there wasn't a single thing in here that you found perhaps a little abrasive or maybe hit you right in the heart or something like that, I'd be surprised. It happens for me multiple times as we go through these books because there's aspects of my life that I wish I was better in. There's a saying that I'm not the man I was, I'm not, I'm not the man I ought to be, but thank God I'm not the man I used to be. I feel that every day. I'm, I'm better than I was thanks to the Holy Spirit working in my life, but I'm not done and I'm not good. I'm not good. No man does good. No, not one. That's me. I'm a no good man, but God is perfect and Christ has saved me and has cloaked me in perfection. As mysterious as that is, and what what Tychicus is coming along is as people here, it's like, ah, no, I don't even know if I'm saved. I mean, you're saying I'm supposed to be bearing this kind of fruit and having this kind of armor. I don't know any of this. I'm not feeling any of that. Now, Tychicus gets a chance to pull him aside and pray. What's, what's going on? What's the struggle here? It really is no different than what would happen today. If I deliver this message, which is not a letter, but I deliver this message, and someone was completely convicted, and I just, I, if what he's saying is true, I'm in big trouble, then who's going to be the Tychicus here to talk to that person and say, what are you, what's going on? I can see you're torn up. How can, what can we do to help? Fills in the gaps, counsels around the rough spots, because Paul knows the fellowship of the saints is critical. If it wasn't important, he wouldn't have sent somebody. If the word of God alone, just the word, without any people was adequate, why would Paul have sent Tychicus here? He wrote the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying the Word of God is not of immense power. Don't get me wrong. I'm not in any way lessening the impact or power of the Word of God. But God has, in His sovereign decision-making power, said, this Word is coupled with my church. He has commissioned us to do this. God chose this way. Paul is doing what God would have Paul do. Here is the Word of God, and here's somebody that can be there with you and help you with the word. Help the word be manifest more clearly to you. Help you understand the ins and outs of that. Take some time to pray and counsel those areas that maybe aren't very clear to you on a first, a first pass. The Holy Spirit is using the word Antiochus and Paul and, and, and all these multiple facets to do what the Holy Spirit does. And only the Holy Spirit can do, and that is change people. This is gospel ministry perfected. In 621 through 24, what we see is a model for what we are doing today. It's, we're just copying Paul. Here's the Word of God. Here's some people to help you. Here's the Word of God. Here's some people to help you. What we see in churches that are not necessarily doing the best with regards to accomplishing the gospel ministry is one or more of those tends to go by the wayside. We tend to clobber people with the word and offer no possibility of connection, no relationship with them at all. This is the truth. Goodbye. Enjoy. Here's a box of Bibles. Please read, please read them and pray and get saved and fairly well. Or we delete the word of God and we have extraordinarily fun, great times in fellowship, ignoring what Scripture says, doing what we think is right in our own minds. When we talk about gospel ministry perfected, this is, for my money, where it's at. So let's dive in here. Maximizing meaningful machinations. Huh? It's pretty good. 
That is not in the Bible. That's mine. That is not God's word. That said, let's look at four ways that we see Paul in his, in his benediction of his letter, in his peace out <laughs> signature area, being effective. One, bring a friend. Now, Paul sent a friend, but bring a friend. Number two, bring the truth. If there's one thing that you really don't have to think too hard about when it comes to Paul's writing, it is loads of truth. He's dissecting and he's, uh, he's evolving understanding of and clarifying the truth of God. Third thing, bring the love. If you are bringing a friend and you're bringing the truth and you don't love the people that you're talking to, if you hate them and you want bad for them, it'll show. They probably won't believe your truth that you bring. They don't think that you're much of a friend to them at all. Love is important. And then lastly, bring the good news of Jesus. Bring the good news of Jesus. First, bring a friend. Tychicus is a real hero of this book. Now, you might roll your eyes, and that's okay. But the more I, I, I think about this, in the book, granted, there's not much of Tychicus. But at the end, what we have is somebody that's basically being put in a position to help them with any questions they might have regarding Paul or what he wrote. So here is the person. Here are the hands and the feet of Christ that Paul has sent to them to help them understand more fully what he has written. Clearly, Paul sees the immense value of personal connection over words alone. I don't think anybody that would read this could read Paul's writing. Maybe this is the first time you've even heard the name Tychicus. Maybe this verse has always got blurred into the armor. That's completely understandable because that's how I've always heard it talked about. This is a footnote. Oh, and Tychicus too. You know, oh, he's, he's a rascal, but he's here. If you've got any questions. But Paul is saying, I'm sending you a person with this letter. And this person is going to help you with that. Being able to look at somebody in the eyes, somebody that can read your face, can see the disbelief, can see the sadness, see the grief, is it makes a difference. We all know that it does. We tell ourselves that it doesn't. We tell ourselves that I can do online church forever and it's going to be just as effective as in-person church. I'm telling you that is a lie. There is something about being in contact with there's something about physical touch, physical presence that matters. If we didn't need Jesus to appear here physically, he wouldn't have done it, but he did. This means it was required. Now, I'm not saying that like, well, that's why I come to church because Jesus came to earth. It's not a perfect, but it does add to this notion of being present makes a difference. Those of us that have gone through COVID and done e-learning and e-work and endless Zoom meetings, if you're really honest with yourself, even though it might be nice because you don't necessarily want that kind of physical, you don't need presence with all these people that you don't necessarily like that much or want to be around and get sick from, the people that you care about, I can tell you right now, hardly anybody wanted to do Thanksgiving on Zoom with their family. Right? Cheryl, having your grandkids appear on a Zoom meeting, probably not as good as having them come over and play on your lap and be able to get down on the ground with them and watch them run around. Even if they don't touch you, just watching them, seeing them physically there with both your eyes makes a difference. Paul knows it here. We know it now. There's something about having somebody there. Bringing a friend, having a presence adds a little bit of, uh, of, of, of truth to what you're saying. The the, the veracity of your statements, what, do you mean it? Is it real? Yeah, here's two people. Paul said it now. This guy's saying it's true. I've seen it. I can give you some other names. Don't take it from me. Take it from my friend. This is, this is real stuff. But more than that, if they have questions about Paul so far away, he has all this stuff to say, and I miss him, and I'm, but here's somebody that can give me some good news about Paul. Let me know what's going on. It matters. This is one, one of myriad reasons that the fellowship of the saints is important. 
being able to have somebody go with the truth, be by your side as you present the truth. Having another person to provide wise, wise counsel is divine. I cannot tell you in my walk through, through my life thus far the number of people that had a massive impact in my life because they were there when events occurred. I don't have a single massive spiritual experience that is me alone struck by a bolt of lightning. Personally, I don't have that. Every single time something happened, there's another person there. I don't think that's coincidence. There, this does happen in the Bible. Paul was knocked down on the road by himself. <laughs> Boom, blind, get up. What? But what was he told to do? Get up, get right to ministry? No. Nope. He's sent to somebody's house while he's blind. And this person ministers to him in his blindness until he can see again. I get chills when I think about that. That's not, once again, not a coincidence. That is not a coincidence. Paul is doing for these people in Ephesus what God did for Paul. Paul, whammo, here's some truth. Now, here's somebody to help you understand it. This is not, there's nothing new under the sun. Paul, once again, this is fantastic what he's doing, but this is just him mimicking what he has seen God do in his own life. Bring a friend. Number two, bring the truth. Usually going to be head nods on this one. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, who, who wants to hear lies from the pulpit? Agreed. But you'd be surprised how easy it is to compromise the truth of Scripture in order to keep people happy, to help people understand better. Well, it's too confusing with the Trinity. Well, let's just be done with that then, right? This happens all the time. You name it. Something that's reasonably complex or, quite frankly, not understandable. We, have, we come up with theological terms for them because it helps us make sense of it to be able to at least quantify that our, our understanding is, I can, I can as, as well as I can, explain what it is that I don't understand. That's okay. But compromising that truth must never happen. We must tell the whole truth of God's Word. And for me personally, the comfort in being able to say there are things in the Word that are simply not understandable. They are told to us to, that they are true. But if we try to reason it out, it just doesn't compute. That's fine. Thus, the whole truth. If somebody says, I understand every single aspect of God. It's, I've, I've learned it all. I have it all down. It's all completely, perfectly aligned in my head. Run far away from that person and pray for them as you're running. Because they've, they've, they've convinced themselves of some compromising of, of, of errant beliefs. They, they had to have done so. But if we're going to talk about something, that means we must know it or bring one who does. Now, I'm not saying take the easy road out. I'm not learning anything. I just have a whole bunch of smart people and we get to work together. And over time, we are called to study this word. This word would become etched on our hearts. This happens for us, right? Sure, people have had the experience where you're like, I don't even know what to say. Then someone asks a couple questions and it's like, I know the answer to that. Like the question you're asking, I actually can speak to. I don't know the exact verse, but I know that. If you've had that happen before, that's exactly what is supposed to happen and why we study the Word. So these little light bulbs come on. I'm not a big Scripture memorizing guy. It's great to do it. I don't want to say don't memorize Scripture. But memorizing Scripture for the sake of memorizing Scripture, to me, is far less impactful than, than learning the, the context of Scripture and its power in how it changes lives. The stories are way more compelling because I can easily look it up. I can find it, but if I can't even connect anything in real life with, with, what, this, with what Scripture teaches in any way at all, then having uh, Scripture memorized, being able to say, well, I can, let me just write off a few random Scriptures to you, see if any of these stick. 
is not the best approach. We must know Scripture. And this isn't about arguing people to salvation. No, you really couldn't. We say bring the truth. Step one is not, tell me a bunch of things that you think are true. Well, I think men are generally good. False. Well, let me just absolutely annihilate that belief. Men are not good. Here's why. Now, are you saved? This is a sad approach. It's a very common approach because we want to be right. We think if we could just get you over this. What ends up happening in that thing, in, in that behavior, is people just retreat. What do you want me to say? We saw this happen firsthand at our uh, Central's Pantry. If we open that with, do you know who, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> do you believe he's the Son of God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, do you believe he rode an elephant? Absolutely he did. Yes, whatever, whatever, whatever you say, I'll agree with so that I can get out of here because I don't really care. But if you say, tell me what you know about Jesus or can I share with you what I believe about Jesus. Now it's something different. Like, well, I don't, I don't know. He was, uh, you know, he walked on water, right? Like that, he did. But he was more than a water walker. <laughs> Once again, I'm not trying to argue people to salvation, but the truth is the truth. And we have to have the truth. People will tell us false, they'll, they'll tell us false things all the time. If, if we try to bring the truth, that's okay. But we can't start to change the word. We can't start to change what we know to be true to accommodate those around us. It may seem like a good way to win people over. Paul could have made a lot more friends, and he wouldn't have been in prison necessarily if he just would have compromised the truth. Just a couple ands. This is Jesus and this, and we'll let you go. I can't do it. I can't do that. Because if I do that, then they'll do that. And if they do that, then the people down will do it even worse. And pretty soon, nobody will know who Jesus is anymore. So no, it's just going to be Jesus for me, and I'll happily go to prison. Third part. Bring the love. Combining truth with love is an awesome recipe. If you've ever wanted to make an impact in somebody's life, tell them the truth and love them. Really love them. Don't act like you love them or pretend, but really love them. If you can't, if you struggle with that, like I don't, I'm not going to love all these people. Stop and think about what it is that has been done for you, right? If you want to know why Paul is so big on this stuff and spends all this time, it's because he knows what it was like to be an absolute scumbag. And some, for some reason, God chose him. And Paul clearly cannot reason that out. I can't do it. I don't know. I don't know why he did, but I'm overwhelmed by it. So when Paul sees somebody who's struggling and making some bad choices, he's thinking, well, if, if God can redeem a murderer of his church by trade, then who am I to stand between God and this individual? Telling people the truth of their state because we love them is a game changer. People that say things like turn or burn or whatever, that's not loving. I mean, it's a joke. I get it, right? But to go up and get into someone's face about their sin without any sort of desire to see them change or, or improve, you just really want to see them go to hell. People read that very quickly. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you're sinning, and I hope you keep it up because that's what you deserve. Okay, well, fine. If that's the tone, then I don't really want to hear that. You don't love me. So if you don't love me, why in the world am I even bothering with you, right? I got people out here that are supporting me in this. They may be buttressing up my sin with, with uh, you know, false beliefs, but at least they seem to care for me and want what's best for me. As far as I can tell, you just want to see me suffer because you don't like me. This is a real problem in churches because I can tell you, I'll be perfectly honest, there's a lot of people that I don't like very much. They grate on me. They drive me nuts. But when it comes to reaching them for the Lord, 
that is something I need to be praying over in my own prayer life. Lord, put that, I need to get out of the way of this. Break my heart for these people. Let me see myself in them, my fallenness in their fallenness. There are plenty of people that don't like me. I know that. Lord, keep, keep that in my mind that, that I'm not that different and that I need as much grace as they do. And when I go to talk to them and there's actually love in my heart, it makes a difference. The truth of eternity requires us to love them enough to tell them. It's far easier when you love people that you know are, are caught up in a trap to just ignore it. And like, well, it is what it is. This is the easiest one for me. I'll confess 100%. I'll just won't bring it up. I don't want to make any waves. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to start anything, right? Because they already know the truth. And I'll tell you, in today's world, it's very, very difficult. We probably all know people who know the word, have been in church for myriad years. They've heard all the same stuff that we're talking about today, and they're living a life of sin. They are embedded in it and and enthralled with it and loving it. And there are people that are telling them that it's good and great and wise. And now what am I going to do? Go up to him and say, hey, the thing that you know is bad, by the way, still bad, but I love you. I wish I had an answer for that, church. I'll tell you this much. If I really, really love them and you get a chance to speak to them and the Lord makes a way that puts you in a position where you can, spend, you can, you can share some truth with some love, you'd be surprised. There are so many tales of people that have been just neck deep in their sin with people telling them that's how it should be and that's great for them. And then one random person on a random time shares with them something in love. And they can tell that it's in love. And suddenly, in an effort perhaps to, to even to, to buck the love off of them, they go and start digging back into the Word. And then all of a sudden, there's, that's where the Holy Spirit starts moving. This isn't about tricking people. This is an opportunity to love them so they'll hear the truth and be like, well, I guess, I guess since you've left me no other options, then I'll just give my life to Jesus. But if we bring truth and love... This seems to be a recipe that allows the Holy Spirit to go berserk in some regards, really get some work done, where people can't shake it off. They can't sleep at night. I can't, I can't stop thinking about this. It's just, it's just, doggone it. Why did you say that to me? Because I can't, I, you know, and you're like, I, I don't know, man. I wish I could tell you why, but it just needed to be said, so I said it. That said, we can be sensitive to the resistance while loving them. This is hard. Right? We say the truth, we not, absolutely. But now bring the love. Okay, sounds good. Now bring them both. Well, I mean, I'm happy to go do this for random people. You know why, why missions are partly very popular? It's because of this. It's easy to go up to somebody in the middle of Germany that I don't know and maybe will never see again and tell them the truth of Scripture. That's really simple. I don't know a thing about them, and they don't know me. So here I stand representing Christ. If I can keep my nose clean while I'm over here, they're going to think this guy's got his act together and he's speaking the truth. That's great. But somebody that knew who I was in high school went to college with me. And I'm going to sit down and say, listen, you're going to knock sin off in your life. <laughs> oh, really? That's rich. You're telling me that I got to get my, I got to clean it up? Yeah, uh, no, that ain't going to happen. Well, yeah, you're, I know. But I'm a different person now. Well, uh, you know. We were riding around in the car. You didn't sound like a different person. Well, but that guy cut me off, and you know how it was. It was different. And I forget it, right? So what we find is this place where it's like, I'm not even going to bring it up. Why? Because I'm no good. And they're going to call me a hypocrite. And this is where I lived for the longest time. The truth is, I am a hypocrite. The truth is, I'm a sinner. The truth is, I do the things that I hate. Paul wrote this down. Once again, not new. If we come to approach people and we say, I love you enough to tell you the truth, that you and me, we're not that different. We're both a mess. The biggest difference I can see between us is that 
I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and you haven't. That puts me in a different place in all eternity, and I want you to be there too. And it's not about getting our act cleaned up here. It's not about that. I'm not saved because I was good enough to be saved and because I live right. I'm saved because God said, you're saved. And God told me that my job is to ask you if you're saved and to tell you the truth of that. And it, let's put all the stuff, let's put our history aside and put our past aside. Church, I'm telling you, that is hard to love somebody like that. It's very vulnerable for me to do that. But we're called to do it. Paul is doing that. Tychicus, I'm sure, as they're reading this letter, is thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, that's something. I'm going to have to. They're looking at him like, we got a lot of questions about this afterwards. He's probably thinking, oh, for crying out loud. I don't know what he's talking about half the time here either. But I'm going to do my best. You know, I mean, Paul's a genius. I'm Tychicus, for crying out loud. The last part, bring the good news of Jesus. I mean, this is the whole reason to minister, right? We're not trying to bring love, we're not trying to bring truth, and we're not bringing friends out to teach people how to play pool or, you know, change their oil. These are the virtuous tasks, don't get me wrong. But bringing the good news of Jesus is why we're doing all of this. Paul, Paul ends here for good reason, praying grace over those that their love for Jesus is true, real, incorruptible, bona fide, stainless love. That's the love that Paul's praying for them. And where does that love come from? Hard work on their part. No, grace. This is the good news. Oh, I'm a muck-ridden, infested nightmare of a person. And you're telling me that just like that, God's going to see me as good? He's going to see me not as good as his son Christ. And our answer is like, yes. <laughs> I know. It's nuts, but yes. But only if that love is incorruptible. This isn't about acting good. It's not about putting on airs. It's not about kicking the sin off and making yourself clean enough. You're never going to be clean enough on your own. That's the good news. The good news of Jesus is that there's nothing but bad news for mankind. Paul ends by praying grace over those that their love for Jesus is true. Let's do the same thing. Everyone wants surety from corruption, and we can share that. In every aspect of our lives, I'll stand by this, nobody builds or invests in something hoping for corruption. We want things to last forever. We buy cars, and we get them Z-barded, and we ask for, for you know, the paint's chipped. Get that repaired, elsewise you get rust, right? No one's like, good, who doesn't want a rusty car? No, we don't want rusty cars. We don't want corrupted vehicles. We can live with them, but we don't want them. What Paul's saying here is, may your love for Jesus never rust, not a speck. The love that you've got cannot rust. Matter of fact, it's eternal. It's so pure and so incorruptible that it, when everything else around it collapses, that, that love between you and Christ looks as good as the day it was put in place by the Holy Spirit. Now you're probably thinking, shouldn't that be first? I mean, <laughs> shouldn't we do that? Well, the spoiler alert is the gospel uses those first three bullets. So if you're going to share the gospel... The best way to do it is to bring a friend, bring the truth, and bring love. If you've got those three things and you're going to go share the gospel, you're going to succeed. I'm, going to, I'm telling you right now, you will not fail. You cannot fail. You cannot fail. No one's ever said that to me in my entire life. Tell them the truth, love them, bring a friend, you will succeed. I'm telling you, you will succeed. And you're going to say, I've done it before and it's not worked. Oh, yeah? Says who? <laughs> Says who? Well, we could probably cite, I can't because I don't know all this stuff, but I'm sure you know, Mike or Lee or someone come up here and tell you the names of people 
that have gone down with a friend, brought the truth, and loved, uh, loved a group of people in an area of the world, and were murdered by them. And then 30 years later was a revival, and they're now like a, a Christian hotspot. Now, for 30 years, somebody said, they failed. They went down there and died. They were murdered. You call that a win? I say yes. Why? Because they were faithful to the calling. Paul didn't send Tychicus here and say, if you don't save, if at least 19 people give their lives, it's a failure. No, he wrote a letter. Tychicus will tell you everything. That's that. Truth. Love. Here's a friend. Next. What's, who's next? Corinth. Have I written them lately? What about Galatia? What's going on over there? Give me some paper. Let's go. Because we're going to do it again. I'm going to write them another letter. I'm going to fill it with truth. I'm going to tell them I love them. And you, bing, off you go. Take this and go. That seems too simple. <laughs> what do you know? What do you know? God does not require a bunch of theologians. He does not require. There's, there's this long-standing argument. If, he, if, if, what, if what the world needed was a teacher, then that's what Christ would have done. He would have appeared in the heavens and instructed everybody with unbelievable capacity. We would have learned. But what we needed was a Savior. So that's what Christ came as. That's what people need. All these other pieces that we do here add to that. But working as a team in truth and love, sharing the good news of grace, this is why we are here and why we even bother to spend time learning the Word. The more we know, the more we understand about truth, the easier it should become for us to love others, knowing that our estate was shared prior to Christ's intervention in our lives. Now, let me take somebody with me. Let me trust that the fellowship of the saints, the call for that, the power of the church is true and right. Let's go. Here's the truth. Here's why we're here today. It's me and some friends. This is the truth. I love everybody that's hearing this message. I swear that I do. I succeeded this morning. Not because of me, but because God said so. The man on the middle cross said it would work. <laughs> Quote Alistair Begg. So what about us? What can we do? Who can we bring to church? Anybody ever heard that question? Well, I'm going to ask it because it's great. If you've got somebody that's looking to, like, I don't know much about church, say, come on a Sunday, and if you leave with less questions than when you went in, I'll buy you lunch. Make it something like that. Oh, yeah, well, that's good, because I know a lot. Good, come on in. I'll bet you'll end up with more questions when you leave. That's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff I try to do, right? I want people to think a little bit about this, right? We, we all heard the, heard the Scripture a hundred times, but think about this. Let the Holy Spirit move a little bit. So that question, great. Keep bringing people to church. But who can we bring the church to? Who can we talk to? Who can we invest in our life? Who could you say, hey, could you hop on and, and have a conversation with this person? I'd like to meet them at a coffee shop, but I'd like somebody else to come with so that we can maybe pray together before they get there, have two of us answer questions, adds a little bit of a credence to the things that we say and the things that I'm talking about. It's not just me. It's a serious thing. When Tychicus arrives and Paul says he's a minister, you can bet they saw, thought of Tychicus as, as pretty, pretty high up here. What's going on? He probably said, no, I'm a nobody, but I'm here to help. Okay, sounds good. Last, who can we share truth and love with? That's the, that's the number one bullet for me. I know a lot of people that know a lot of stuff, and it's hard for me sometimes to talk to them about the aspects of faith and belief because they know what they're going to say. Same reason I don't like going to the doctor. I know what the doctor's going to tell me. Lose weight. I have a headache. It's because you're fat. My knee hurts. It's because you're fat. I'm losing my hair. It's because you're fat. Everything's because you're fat. That's not what the doctor's going to say. But I know he's going to tell me to lose weight, so I don't go. This is why the world doesn't come to church. 
They think when they walk in that door, we're going to say, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop screwing around, stop beating your wife, stop yelling at your kids, stop kicking your dogs, stop buying things you don't need. Button straighten up, fly right, let's go, turn or burn. That's what they think is going to happen. Like I think the doctor's going to say, stop being fat and you'll be healthy. I'm telling you, the truth in love is not that. The truth in love is that there's no hope for you to stop any of that stuff on your own. You need Jesus. Paul wrote this letter to the folks in Ephesus for that exact reason. And lastly, how can we ensure that we are best equipped for these tasks? If you're trying to get people to come to church and make it, hey, awesome. We'll keep praying for them. If you're talking to people regularly about, 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 about faith-based issues and, and struggles that they're having and how you can connect with that's awesome. If there's folks in your life that you're investing in and you're, you're having the tough conversations and, and, and you know, ebbs and flows where they don't want to speak to me because I won't support them in this, even though I love them so much and I tell them that it, this isn't a, it's not a personal thing, it's just something that you know, I, can't, I can't abide by and I, I feel I need to let you know that this is a problem for you in the long run and they hate your guts for that. We can be in prayer for them. But the last bullet is, how can we ensure that we're best equipped for any of these tasks? What are we missing? If you're not comfortable bringing somebody to church or talking to somebody about church or going to somebody you're good friends with and giving them maybe some, some tough love, right, or, or just having a conversation that you know might be a little bit fractious because you don't know how to get there, what are we going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? There's no answers for these necessarily. These are personal questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for a short passage, Lord, I, I, I feel like sometimes we, we could take these little bits and, and dive so deep and, and really wring out of them so much truth about what's going on, Lord. And I, 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 I pray that we, we, remember, we remember this idea whenever we look at any passage of Scripture. That in context and studying it in its entirety is the way it ought to be studied. But once we know the context, we can now begin to look at, at, at words that maybe we've even overlooked in the past. Things that we read are being the reading as if they were all, all new scripture to us almost, Lord. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is able to do that. Illumine us bit by bit as we are faithful enough to open our Bible and study your word. Lord, I pray for... Anybody here today that is, is hearing this for the first time and wants to do better, but they don't know how to do better, Lord, that they'll know that that's because they're unable to do better on their own. We, all of us, unable to do better on our own, Lord. Thank you for this time today. Thank you for the power of your word. And, uh, and Lord, thank you for, for all the blessings that you shower upon us. The providence is incredible. Same times I pray. Amen.